Man, be seated. Be seated. So glad. So glad you're here tonight. I'm going to go ahead and uh, I was going to phrase it as a question, but it's not really a question. It's more of a statement. Everybody here, everybody here, there's no exception. We've all tried to cover something up at some point. We've we tried to make something look not as bad as it really is. Let me kind of give you an example. A few weeks ago, I woke up and I had this, this thing on my lip. And uh, it, was, it wasn't a big deal, it was just a bump on my lip. I, and I'm a man, and men handle problems the same way. We all handle the problem the same way. We look at something in the mirror, and we go, huh. And then we walk away. Doesn't matter what it is, because it'll get better, because we're men. That's why we die sooner than women, just, just a side note. Because we could wake up and blood could be coming out of our ears, and we'd be like, huh, that's interesting. And we just kind of keep going, because it'll fix itself. Right, men? Right, there we go. So I woke up, and there's a bump on my lip, and it's not a big deal um, until, like, later on that day, it's, I kind of started feeling a little bit and started getting self-conscious. And that night I went to bed and it was a little bit bigger, but not a big deal. And the next day I got up and kind of walked around the house and Shannon was like, babe, what's, what's that on your lip? And I was like, nothing. I mean, why we got to talk about my lip? Why can't you talk about your lip? Why are you judging my lip? And she was like, no, it's, it's kind of gross. And I was like, I don't know what it is. And she said, well, can I go get you some, um, like medicine for it? I was like, yeah, if that'll make you feel better. And, and inwardly, I'm like, thank God for Shannon. So she goes and gets some medicine. And I, this is what I think, because I'm a man. This is the way we think. You put medicine on it, next day it's going to be gone, right? right? Wrong. Because next morning I got up, it was bigger. And we're coming to Sunday. Sunday. Sunday came around, and I was so self-conscious about this thing. This thing, it's like I had a third lip. I'm not being, I'm not, it was, I was afraid I was going to be standing in the lobby and my lip was going to be like, what's up, people? I mean, it was, and so Shannon, Shannon, sweet Shannon, she, she made an offer. She said, baby, you want me to try to cover that up with some makeup? And I said, no. Now, the real reason is because I didn't think she had enough makeup to cover up this, this galactic thing on my lip. But I started thinking about how many, how many times have we tried to cover up something with some, with some makeup or with some like fake hair, men and women? I'm just saying men and women. I'm just, I, ain't, I ain't judging, I'm just saying. Or there's a hole in the wall so you, you hang a picture. Or there's a stain on the couch and that's why you got that blanket right there on the couch. It makes no sense. We, we try to cover up and I started thinking about that in regards to church. I think one of the reasons people get so scared when they come to church is because we feel like we can't show up like we are. So we gotta, we gotta cover some stuff up. And, and we, we come to church and we cover stuff up and then when something gets found out, we either leave the church or, or leave the community or whatever because everybody know, everybody sees what we've been trying to cover up. And when I read the Bible, I don't think that's how God meant for church to be. I don't think we're supposed to cover up who we are. I think we're, about, I think we're supposed to show up and grow up. That's what I think we're supposed to do. And a part of showing up, and I didn't say that this morning, y'all. That was pretty good. But a part of showing up and growing up is, is being real with, with who we are. Now, I'm not giving anybody permit. This is just who I am. And that. Listen, if, I'm not giving anybody permission to live and like unrepented sin. I'm just saying, what if we just showed up and didn't try to cover anything up? How powerful could that be if we just met Jesus right there? And the reason I say that is because this evening we're gonna take communion together. We're gonna do the Lord's Supper. And a lot of times in church world, I've been in churches and listen, if this is the way they wanna do it, 
I am not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying there are godly people on both sides of this issue. But there are some churches that say, if you are not where you need to be in your walk with Jesus, you should not take communion. You need to make sure you're right. And if, and if that's the case, I'm not sure I would have ever taken communion in my life because I'm always a little jacked up, just a little, sometimes a lot, but mostly I'm always a little messed up. And so we're not gonna approach communion that way tonight. We're gonna pr- approach communion <laughs> the way Jesus approached it, is the, the classic Jesus juke, right? Because this is what I love about the Bible. The Bible doesn't cover up the sins of our heroes. In fact, the reason they're our heroes is not because they were perfect, but because there was an issue or issues in their life and they overcame them. And so if the Bible didn't cover up these issues, I don't think we're supposed to cover them up. I think we're supposed to get real, let Jesus meet us there and bring us to where we need to be in his time. So what if we went back and we looked at the original, like the OG Lord's Supper. Now, just let me kind of put this out there. It's not the Last Supper. It's the Lord's Supper. If it was the Last Supper, we wouldn't be doing this because that would have been the Last Supper. So it's the Lord's Supper. Pastor P, isn't that semantics? Yes, but I've got the microphone and it's (laughs) the Lord's Supper, all right? So I wanna go through and I wanna look at some of the people. Now, we're not gonna do all 12 apostles when I start going through this, but let's just look at some of the people that got to sit at the table at the very first communion service. And if you had to be perfect, none of these guys would have made the cut, none of them. The first guy we're gonna talk about is Matthew. How many people in this room have ever made a bad financial decision? Raise your hand, raise your hand. Oh, wow, this is, that's more. How many people drove your bad financial decision to church tonight? You drove it, yeah. (laughs) How many are sitting next to your bad financial decision? I say, okay, no, 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 I just got some people in trouble. It's like, <laughs> they know the Amazon guy by first name. We, we've all made some decisions that we made some payments on and, and it's kind of funny to kind of look back and laugh at that, but there are some people here tonight and there's some, some of our friends that are watching us online that we probably made some decisions. To be honest, they're not that funny. To be honest, we... we we don't really wanna talk about it. In fact, me talking about the past, this is what I know it does for some people. It brings up feelings of guilt and shame, like we're not enough. And let me pause to say, I get that. I'm, I'm with you. And, and Matthew got it too. Matthew was born into a Jewish family. Matthew was raised more than likely in, a, in an Orthodox Jewish home, but Matthew didn't make a decision to turn his back on God. Let me just kind of clarify this. Nobody wakes up one day and says, I don't believe in God anymore. It's a series of small decisions that eventually leads to the bad decision. So Matthew made a series of bad decisions and Matthew went down a road. Now I'm sure you, if you would have asked him 10 to 15 years before this, he would have said, there's no way that'll ever happen to me. But have you ever heard the phrase, God is patient? So is the devil. He will patiently lead us away from Jesus. And so in, in, in this time period, in Jesus's time period, you had two categories of bad people. You had sinners, and sinners were like 
the prostitutes and, and the pimps and, and like the drug dealers. I'm sure they had drugs back then. It's not like we invented them here in America, right? So they, they, that, those, were the, those were the sinners. But b- beneath the sinners were the tax collectors. And if you were a sinner, you could be a straight up prostitute and be like, at least I'm not a tax collector. And everybody would be like, yeah, you're right. You are not a tax collector. Because these were the, we don't even have a modern day equivalent that I could c- connect it to. These were the worst of the worst of the worst. We tracking? Okay, I'll get y'all there. I'll get y'all there. I always say it's my fault. It's not yours. I'll get y'all there. I'll get y'all there. Watch this. Matthew chapter nine. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew. Now, let me pause real quick. Isn't it funny that Matthew wasn't looking for Jesus, but Jesus was looking for him? Amen. It, it bothers me when people are sharing their testimony and they're like, and I found God. He was never lost. I found Jesus. How did, how did you do that? Were you driving around honey a path and it's just late at night and you saw the guy with feathered hair and a long robe and you're like, hey man, this is Mr. Gilmo's property. You need to get in the car. You don't need to, like that probably did not happen. He was not lost. So just, I'll keep to the script. Oh man, okay. So Matthew Watch this, sitting at his tax collector's booth. So you can literally say, this is not a stretch, Jesus saw Matthew in the act of sin. It wasn't like he heard a rumor about Matthew. Matthew was sinning. And what did Jesus say? Stop it, knock it off. He could have, and he would have been right. But look at what Jesus said. This is mind-blowing. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. And everybody around was going, what? Jesus, Jesus, come here. He's tax collecting. This would be like walking up to somebody that's doing a drug deal and saying, listen, when you get done with that drug deal, I want you to come work at our church. That's how we hired Jennifer. (laughs) (laughs) It's not true. She had the good stuff, man. I just, I just saying, I had to pay for the building somehow. I, that's a joke, by the way. Jennifer does not do drugs. I don't think she married Paul. She might be. She might have. She might have. Okay, y'all. Let's get back. Let's get back. This, this would be like walking up to somebody in the act, like like watching porn. Will you follow me? Like Jesus, what are you doing? He's so let's. Let's get him out of his sin. Let's get him right. Let's get him cleaned up. Let's get him nice and polished. And then he can follow you. And Jesus was like, no, no, no. I want him. I want him just like that. I'll take him just the way he is. And here's the deal. We don't know when Matthew stopped collecting taxes. But we do know when he started following Jesus. And we do know he eventually stopped collecting taxes. Because Jesus knew it is impossible to pursue Jesus and sin at the same time. Now, I did not say it's impossible to pursue Jesus and to occasionally sin. I said it's impossible to pursue Jesus and pursue sin at the same time. So Matthew got up and and followed him. And here's what's crazy. Matthew writes this story down about 20, 25 years later after it happened. In Matthew, in Matthew chapter 10, which is mind-blowing, because immediately after this, Jesus has like 
a draft pick. So Jesus had like 70 people, like 70 disciples, but then he had a draft, he kind of like had a draft, and out of the 70, he drafted 12 that would be the closest to him. And Matthew kind of lists the draft pick, not necessarily in order, I mean close, but not necessarily in order. This is what Matthew said about the draft pick. Matthew said this in Matthew chapter 10, verse one. Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. There's a whole message right there, but I'm gonna skip it and get to verse two. Here are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also called Peter. Then, his, then Andrew, Peter's brother. James, son of Zebedee. John, James's brother. Then he stops explaining everything. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas. Matthew, the tax collector. Think Matthew had a problem with his past? Absolutely. Because I was Matthew, I'd have just left that out. But Matthew, I think he probably struggled from time to time thinking, I can't believe I was ever that person. I can't believe I believed that. I can't believe I did that. And the only reason I bring that up is there's people here tonight that you feel the same way. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I lived that way. I can't believe I was that person. And you know why the enemy tries to focus us so much on our past? It's because he knows that if we ever get our eyes off the past and we let Jesus fix our eyes on the future, we will be unstoppable. Because if Jesus can change Matthew's life, he can change our lives. I heard, a, I heard a guy say years ago, and I, I've never forgot it. He's like, the next time the devil reminds you of your past, just remind him of his future. I've literally said out loud, go to hell, devil. I have to say it. It's really awkward if you're around people um, and they don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? Did you tell me to go to hell? Not unless you're named devil, then that's where you need to go. Um, but in just a little while, we're gonna do communion. We're gonna do communion. And for those of you that wrestle with your past, um, I hope that you remember that as we, the juice represents the blood of Jesus and that the blood of Jesus on the cross paid for all of our sin. Amen. All of it. So there's Matthew. And then <laughs> there's, there's Thomas. Thomas. Thomas had some tra trauma issues. And, uh, and I get it, because I've got some trauma issues too. For example, if you invite me over to your house, and, uh, and, and there's got to be food involved or I ain't coming, but if you invite me over to your house for some food, and I come in, and I have to go to the bathroom, because I'm over 50, I, have to pee, I can pee on command. I have to pee like every five minutes. I, just, I probably, I wish, I, anyway, so I just, I, I, if I say, where's the bathroom, and you tell me where the bathroom is, and I walk in your little bathroom, and it's got a toilet next to the shower, and the curtain's pulled, I'm always gonna look behind that curtain. <laughs> Especially if you tell me, don't look behind that curtain, it's gross. I mean, like, I will, I will straight up judge you right now because there is no way I'm gonna do anything with that toilet bef before I look behind the curtain. There's a reason I got some trauma issues. It's because when I was around 12, 13 years old, my dad thought it'd be hysterical, hysterical, because we had a toilet right beside the shower. And I was, I'll never forget the first night he did it. I, was, I went into the bathroom and it was the kind of trip, men, where you, you had some paperwork when you're finished. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Are we tracking? That's all, it's all I need to say, right? And so when, when you're getting ready to sit, don't worry, I'm not gonna take this illustration too far. And you get your, you get your pants around your, like right below your knees. You know, 
there's something true about every man in this room. When you get your pants right there, you can't run. You can't run. So I'm like this, pants around me, and my dad was behind the curtain, and he just reaches out and grabs me like right here and goes, Woo! <laughs> I had no problem getting the bathroom thing taken care of. It just happened. I said it, then I did it, all right? That's what happened right there on the spot. And so, and he would do that just randomly, occasionally. Like, I, I would be like, okay, I'm, I'm good. I don't need to check behind the curtain. And then he would do it. So I'm always going to check by the, behind the curtain because I got some trauma issues. I got some, I got some issues. And, and we can laugh at my trauma issues, but some people here tonight, if we got just real and raw and honest, the issues that we have, I mean, the questions that we got, well, you can't laugh at those. Like, I remember when I was 11 years old, my question was like, God, how could you let my mother die at 49 years old? How could you? There are people in this room. God, how could you take my child? God, how could you let that divorce happen? God, how could, God, I didn't ask for this anxiety and this depression. If you're so good, how in the world could something like this happen to me? See, that's real. We feel in the room, right? See, Thomas had the same issue. Thomas, Thomas had some trauma. And, and the trauma that Thomas had was he sold his life out to Jesus. He followed Jesus for three and a half years believed in him, loved him, supported him, and then watched him die. And it wasn't, it wasn't like he just saw him die. He saw him beaten, mocked, and crucified. And crucifixion was gross. Most of us, we couldn't have even handled the smell of a crucifixion site. And it traumatized him. It traumatized him to the point where when Jesus rose from the dead, which is still the greatest thing ever, like anybody's ever pulled off. Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to the disciples. Um, Thomas wasn't there. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna skip some of these verses I had because I wanna get to this one part. Watch this. Uh, let's go, nope, let's go back. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we've seen the Lord. And he replied, I won't, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Now, I get that. That's ID, right? Thomas is basically like, I need to see some ID. We need to show ID when we get on a plane. We show ID when we buy alcohol. Show, I've been told. I don't know. Nobody, but I'm just saying people know. Um, and that's acceptable. But then he said, put my fingers into them. And I'm like, oh. Cow, Thomas, that's intense. And then he said, and place my hand into the wound in his side. That's gross. Now, somebody pointed this out to me. I want to read. Um, every once in a while, you got to dig into the King James Version. Let me read you what King Jimmy said. <laughs> the other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, except I shall see his hands, the print of the nails 
and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side. Dang, Thomas. But let's not be too harsh because we'd have probably said the same thing. Thomas was, Thomas was like, let me just tell you where I'm at, guys. Let, unless I see him, and unless he can meet me in this place, I'm not interested. This is what's funny about Jesus when you get real. See, Thomas is called Doubting Thomas, but I, don't, I think that's a, how would you love to be judged on your worst moment of your life? Not Doubting Thomas. He's like Faithful Thomas. Because watch this, this is crazy. Eight days later, don't you love that? How Jesus doesn't answer us immediately, but he eventually gets around to it in his time. And I love it because eight in the Bible is the number of new beginnings. I'm sure that's just a coincidence, but it was there. So I just thought I'd share it with you for absolutely free. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And Peter's over there like, I told you, dog. Watch this. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Thomas said, I need to touch the nail marks in his hands. And Jesus said, oh, if that's what you need to believe, let's do it. Let's do it. Oh, and that other thing you said. And Thomas was like, don't bring it up. Jesus said, put your hand into the wound in my side. In other words, you said you needed to feel where they stuck the spear. Go ahead, give me your hand. Put it right here. Go ahead. Jesus met Thomas at his lowest point in life and said, if that's where you are, I can work with that. So for those that have questions and doubt and trauma, if 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 you just get open and get real with it, Jesus can meet you there. He's not intimidated by any of our questions. Growing up, I was told, don't ask God questions. And the real reason people said that is they didn't want you to ask them the hard questions, by the way. Put your hand into the wound of my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Watch this. Look, watch how quick Thomas changed. Um, my Lord and my God. So, so when we take communion tonight, just bringing it back to this, and, and we, the wafer's in the top, and then we got the juice right here, What we got to remember is Jesus will meet us in our trauma because Jesus knows trauma. And that's not, this is not me saying, he was crucified on the cross, shut up and get over it. That's not me at all. I would never say, I I don't want to make light of anybody's trauma. What I'm saying is Jesus gets you. And if you'll let him, he'll meet you there. And if you'll let him, he'll put, you don't have to stay there. He'll pull you out. That's what he did for Thomas, all right? And then, and then, then we got James and John. Now, if I were directing a movie of the Bible, these guys would be comic relief because some of the stuff they pull off or try to pull off is absolute. I read, when I read the Bible, I laugh a lot because I, I see humor in the Bible. Now, a lot of people don't see humor in the Bible, and that's because you probably grew up reading King James and you get theus and goest and sayus and thrusting and like all the hand and the side, it's kind of gross. But James, let me just set it up this way. How many people would say, you got a short fuse? Short fuse people, any short fuse people? Anybody sitting next to somebody that should be raising their hand? Okay, yeah, 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 okay. Wow, lots of hands there. 
I'm a situational short fuse person. I'm getting older. I'm getting laid back about a lot more things. But, but go to Chick-fil-A with me and not know what you want to eat. And you will see a side of me that you have never seen in your life. Because the menu hadn't freaking changed. And I, it's chicken, y'all. It's chicken. You want a grilled or a fried chicken thing, all right? We'll get you just order. And we stood in line for 15 minutes. You stared at the boy. You said, okay, so I'm, I'm venting. Okay, I need some therapy. James and John had some short fuses. They, they had some bitterness in their heart. And you know what I know about bitterness from my own life and from being in ministry for a minute? You can't hide bitterness. It always comes to the surface. James and John were Jewish, and they grew up hating this group of people called Samaritans. And... Uh, it was reciprocal because Samaritans hated the Jews. And, and I want you to watch. I want you to watch what happens. I want you to see this hatred and how insane James and John, who were two of the people closest to Jesus when he was here on the earth. Peter, James, and John were the inner circle. So these guys, they walk so close to Jesus. And I want you to watch what they do, what they say. Look, let's, let's look at their... Unbelievable idea. As the time drew near for him, Jesus, to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He's like, let's do this. I'm on the way. He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. In other words, go and make sure we got some food set up. We got, got like a chair, got a place. Maybe he can sit down and relax, maybe spend the night or something like that. Um, verse 53 said, but the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. In other words, they said, no, we don't want you here. If you're going to Jerusalem, you're not passing through here. Tension, right? James and John said, oh, we got this. We got this. What, what, look at their idea. When James and John saw this, they, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? hold on a minute. I've been mad at some people before, but like talk bad about you under my breath, mad. But this is James and John. Jesus, we got an idea. Let's kill everybody. <laughs> Let's smoke the whole city, Jesus. You, I, let, same thing happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's do it again. How sick is that? They, they wanted to kill, listen, they wanted to kill everybody, men, women, and children. See, because bitterness, when it manifests in us, they'll always take it too far. They were bitter, and it came out, they wanted to, they wanted to kill all these people because they thought the world would be a better place without them. And, and I love, but Jesus turned around and rebuked them. Doesn't say what he said. I don't think he said anything. I think he turned around and went, <sighs> and just kept going. And they looked at each other like, bad idea? Yeah, bad idea. So, so they went on to another village. <clears throat> don't you love how Luke just kind of threw that in there? By the way, that's not in John. John left that out of his gospel. John was like, he got to that part, and he's like, I'm going to leave that part out. Luke stuck it in his. So, so you would think... Um, you would think that the people closest to Jesus didn't wrestle with anything, but they wrestle with bitterness. And if you're here tonight and you got some bitterness issues toward a person, toward someone, I get it. I also get that it'll kill us 
spiritually. Being bitter as somebody else is like drinking poison and expecting it to kill them. It doesn't work. So just consider this. Just consider when we, when we take the juice. When Jesus was being beaten and his, and his blood was pouring out, he prayed for the people saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And if the man that we follow prayed for, for, for the forgiveness of the people killing him, then maybe, maybe we can ask for his help with us getting over our bitterness. Amen? Amen. Oh, yeah. But James and John, they're the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, it gets... <laughs> There are some people in this room that, no, all of us deal with selfishness in some way, shape, form, or fashion. You ever been in a conversation, you're talking to somebody, and you feel like they're not listening? Every wife should say yes. Or have you ever listened to somebody, and you're not really listening to them, you're just waiting for an opportunity to get your opinion in? Yeah. Watch this. Jesus is in a room with his close, 12 closest guys, and he's opening up and just pouring his heart out. Have you ever done this? You just poured your heart out to a group of people. Watch what he says. This is intense stuff. He said, he said um, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where the son of man that was, he was talking about himself, nickname he gave himself, will be betrayed to the leading priest and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. In other words, guys, I'm gonna go get arrested, I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna go to court, I'm gonna get convicted, and they're gonna hand me over to the Romans. Um, and then they will mock him, spit on, that's just nasty, y'all, that's nasty. Flog him with a whip, which if I went over the details right now, some of y'all couldn't handle it. You gotta go eat dinner after this. this I mean, it's gross. And kill him. But after three days, he'll rise again. They missed that part. Everybody missed that part. Nobody believed it. And, and don't get mad at them. We wouldn't have believed it either. It, Jesus just basically said, guys, we're going to go. I'm going to get arrested. I'm gonna, it's going to be a false trial. They're going to hand me over. I'm going to get mocked and beaten and spit on and killed. And I'm coming back three days later. Watch what happens. But watch what happens. Oh, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Then James and John Sons of Zebedee came and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. <laughs> Can you see this? Man, Jesus, man, that sounds awful. The whole trial thing and the beaten and the spit on and the, and the death, that's awful. Hey, man, you do me a favor? <laughs> it's in the Bible. This is the way I read it. <laughs> We want you to do us a favor. We, said, we feel so bad about that. We're going we're gonna to call somebody. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna pray a hedge of protection around you, Jesus. Maybe that won't happen. Um, what is your request, Jesus asked. And I think he probably was trying to hold in a, a laugh maybe a little bit. Like, is this really happening right now? Are we really doing this? Watch what they said. This is insane. Um, they replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, guys, did you miss what I just said was going to happen? Yeah, yeah, we don't even think that's going to happen. We think you're political side. We think you're just blowing smoke. So when, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right, 
and the other on your left. <laughs> you think Jesus is going, these were the guys you wanted me to pick? These were the guys you wanted me to pick? Yeah, we feel bad about that. Hey, listen, when all that doesn't happen and what we think is gonna happen happens, can, can I be your vice president and he be your chief of staff? Is this not a comedy scene in the, in the Bible? This is crazy. But here's what's crazy. Now, don't miss this because we're gonna come back to it. Um, they asked for something very specific. They said, we wanna sit on your right and your left when you come sit on your glorious throne. In other words, when you are glorified, we wanna be on your right and your left. Your right and your left. Let's say that out loud together on three so we can all remember it. One, two, three. Your right and your left. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. And then Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Now guys, you, you sure you wanna go down this road? He said, are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? James and John, they're still clueless. They, they, um, oh yeah, they replied, we're able, we can do it. I'm gonna be on the right and the left, the right and the left, the right and the left. Let me pause for just a second and say somebody in this room should probably just take a second and thank God for all the times he said no to the things that we ask him for. Right? Aren't you glad God said no? I, no, no, that's not gonna happen. You know why God, you know why Jesus ultimately told them no? Because he loved them. He said, if I answer your request, you're gonna mess up your life. You know how I know? Because just a few chapters later when it's talking about the crucifixion, because Jesus was crucified between two criminals, remember that? Notice the language that Mark uses. Two, revolutioni two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and the other on his. Jesus is like, if I give you what you're asking for, it's gonna hurt. Aren't you glad that he loves us enough to tell us no? Amen. Aren't you glad that his plans for our lives are better than our plans for our lives? This did not happen. The body and the blood of Jesus wasn't broken and poured out so we could pray really safe prayers. It was so that we could live an abundant life. And sometimes that means God telling us no. And last but not least, y'all know you can't crack on the disciples without cracking on Peter. If you ever feel bad about your life, just go read about Peter. You'll feel, you'll feel better. Now, on the flip side, he does get to be the guy in all the heaven jokes that meets people at the gate. I don't know why, but he's, he's, um, I'll set it up this way. I love lists and rankings of things. And so a few weeks ago, I was doing a little research on something I'm working on, and I was looking for the, the 10 best songs of all time. Um, and, and one of the lists, I mean, a couple of the lists said, smells like teen spirit. And I was like, of all time? Of all time? Really? I don't think so. I mean, 
Okay, obviously nobody agrees, um, which is good. It means you're, you're, you've got good taste in music. Um, best TV shows, um, and then best movies. I found this list and it had all these lists. And um, the, the most agreed upon number one movie of all time is The Godfather. Um, I don't know if you've seen it or not. It's, it really is. It, 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 it's, it's slightly better than Talladega Nights, but it's, I mean, it's, it's good. <laughs> but I found one list. I found one list. And once I, I read their top 10, I discredited them. They are, they are literally officially off the Pastor P movie list because at number seven, they had Titanic. And that movie makes me want to punch puppies because I, I just, I don't like it. Every time I hear, woo. I'm like, she said she wouldn't let go. She said, I'll never let go. And as soon as he died, what'd she do? Women, I'm just telling you, that's what happened. And there was room on the door. Hello, Rose. Here's what's funny. James Cameron actually came out with an article a couple of years ago defending the fact that there was not room on the door. I'm like, you're too late, James. They did that one shot, there was room on the door. <sighs> but she said she wouldn't let go. But then I'm reminded about how many of us have told God that we would do something or not do something and we went back on our word? Like we walked into the class and there was a test and we said, oh, God, I forgot. Okay, uh, Jesus, would you help me remember this stuff I've never studied in my life. <laughs> and then I will, um, I'll be a missionary. I'll be a missionary to South America. I'll, I will go, I will go to Australia. God, I'd like to go to the Bahamas, but, but anywhere you want to send me, Lord. Or, since this is a second chance, you ever been in the bathroom where you face against the <laughs> floor and you're like, Jesus, if you'll get me out of this floor, I will never drink Mad Dog 2020 again. <laughs> oh, y'all know Mad Dog. All day long. And some of you are like, I do not know what that is. Good for you. You only, you only do it one time. That's it. Peter, we, we make those promises, and then like the next weekend, we're like, well, we didn't do Mad Dog, right? We, it's something else. But Peter's kind of famous for this, this thing where um, they're, they're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane and on the way, Jesus told them, tonight all of you will desert me for the scriptures say God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of, of the flock will be scattered. In other words, he said, guys, I know that stuff's about to go down and, and y'all are gonna desert me. And watch, watch this, because Peter, he said, oh, but, but after I've been raised from the dead, they kept missing that. He threw it in there. I will go ahead of you to Galilee and I'll meet you there. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. In other words, these fools, they probably, they, they probably gonna run, but I got your back, Jesus. You ever had anybody tell you that? And later on you discovered the only reason they had your back was to figure out where they could put the knife where you couldn't get it. I'm just saying this probably happened. Watch what Jesus said. Jesus calls him out. He said, I'll tell you the truth, Peter. This very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. In other words, Jesus, Jesus said, Peter, these guys are gonna do it once. 
but you excel in everything. You, you are going to deny me three times. And you would think Peter would be like, is there any way we can prevent that? But watch what Peter said. No. Straight up told Jesus no. Yelled at him. Notice the exclamation point. No! Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. And you know what I think? I think in the moment, they meant it. We got you. But you know what happened? Cops showed up. You know what happens to a group of people when the cops show up? They run. Every group I've ever been in. I, that's another story for another time. It's, it's super fascinating. I, I, I'll have to tell it. It's a whole illustration. Yes, I was there. Yes, it did happen. No, I did not get arrested that time. But that's a, once again, that's a, even another story. The cops showed up and they all ran. And Peter got separated from Jesus and he got separated from the people that kept him close to Jesus. And anytime we do that, we're gonna deny him. So a teenage girl came up to him and said, weren't you with Jesus? And he was like, no, girl, what? Girl, get, get off, get away from here. I, didn't, I don't even know the man. And then John records something that's when I saw this, it's once you see it, you can't unsee it. John, John says after he denied him the first time, before the second and third denial, um, John said, because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. We're going to come back to that. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. Charcoal. Charcoal. Charcoal's got that distinct smell, doesn't it? I mean, when my neighbors fire up their charcoal grill, man, it makes me want to and man, I crave a burger, y'all. I just want one. I just want, you can't talk about burgers. We got vegans in the room. Praise God for you. The more meat for me. I will eat that burger. By the way, if y'all are so committed to being a vegan, why are y'all trying to make everything taste like meat? Just eat some meat and be free in the name of Jesus, all right? I'm just, have you, have you had this cardboard? It tastes like meat. No, I ate a ribeye. It tasted like meat better. Um, but charcoal, let's talk about charcoal for a minute. That's got, and isn't it funny how smell will bring back just crazy memories? It's one of the most sensitive senses. I gave a, a little lady a hug one time, and when I gave her a hug, her hair, she, like her hair came right here, and, and, her, and she, she had the same hairspray that my grandma had. I hadn't thought about my grandma. Now, my grandma, y'all, she used a can of hairspray every single day. There were dead flies all over the bath bathroom. But the, so I remembered it, but isn't it funny, the sense of smell. And charcoal's the same way, charcoal. So Peter's standing around a charcoal fire. And by the way, from those who are up north, just a really quick side note. If you ever invite me over to your house for dinner and you cook hamburgers and hot dogs, that is, that is not a barbecue, that's a cookout. If, if there's not a dead pig involved, don't say barbecue, all right? I, I say that because I went to some friend's house from up north and they gave me, they were like, you want to come over for a barbecue? I was like, Does, did Billy Graham have a quiet time? Absolutely, I'd love to come over for a barbecue. I got there and they gave me a hamburger and a hot dog. I was like, this is not a barbecue. They were like, well, that's what we call it up north. I'm like, you moved here. Our rules. <laughs> Charcoal fire. Why would John mention, why couldn't he just set a fire? And say a charcoal fire. And then Peter goes on to deny Jesus two more times. Let me ask you this question. 
Every time Peter smelled charcoal after this, how do you think he felt? I mean, I'm probably like a failure. Probably felt, the charcoal reminded him of his denial. Well, then Jesus pulls off that whole resurrection thing, rises from the dead, goes to Galilee just like he said he would do. He gets there and the disciples are fishing. And they fished all night and caught nothing. That's what the Bible says in John 21. <laughs> and the next morning at dawn, they saw Jesus on the shore, but they, they didn't recognize him because he's like 100 yards away. He's like, you catch anything? They were like, nope. And he said, hey, just, just throw your net on the other side. Just, now let me ask you this question. Do you think they didn't do that at some point in the night? Do you, I mean, they probably threw it on the right side and the left side and the front and the back. They probably threw it straight up in the air hoping to catch a bird. They were like, we gotta catch something. We can't even catch a cold out here, okay? And they, they probably looked at each other and went, oh, man, we know who this idiot is, but let's just go ahead and throw it over and just make him happy. And they threw it over and the Bible says the nets almost broke. There were so many large fish. And they're trying to, and, and as soon as that happened, John looks at Peter and went, that's the Lord. And Peter, the Bible says, literally just dives in the water. Starts swimming toward Jesus. Like that scene in Forrest Gump when he finds out his mama's sick. He just takes off and runs. And he gets on the shore and he just swam 100 yards. So he's probably a little winded. He's like, Jesus like, hey, feet, hey, why don't you bring some of those fish that you just caught and join me for breakfast? And Peter just grabs the net, pulls up. They get some fish. They all walk up and they're getting ready to eat breakfast with Jesus on the beach. That's pretty cool. But watch this. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire. Jesus said, I care about every detail of your life. And what the enemy was gonna use to shame you, I'm gonna use to restore you and set you free. Isn't it crazy how Jesus cares about every single detail of our life? And, and this, is, this is a reminder when we come back to this, this, this bread and this juice that, that, that Jesus gave his life for us, not because he was forced to, because he wanted to, because he loves us like we wouldn't even believe. By the way, by the way, that's the, only time, that's the only time that word, charcoal, it only appears two times in the entire New Testament, the two that I just showed you. So who was at the table at the very first communion service? Who was there? I mean, because let me just show you. The person with the past was at the table. And and the hurt and confused was at the table. And the angry and the bitter person was at the table. And the selfish and self-centered people were at the table. And the promise breaker was at the table. The people that Jesus served communion to and couldn't take communion in some of our churches 
That's pretty bad when you disqualify the disciples. But I want to talk about us tonight. Because we're getting ready to we're getting ready to take communion. But before we do, I've asked the band to sing a song that we're gonna sing with them. That's the old one. But it gets me every time. And there's a line in this song. It's about three-fourths of the way through, talking about the love of God. That says, I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way he loves me. So get your elements in your hand and let's, I want you to hold on to them while we sing this song. Y'all stand with me and let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love, your unconditional love. For the promise breaker and the selfish and the one with the past, God, may we just understand that you knew all of that before you created us and you made us anyway and you arranged for the payment to be made for our sins. So as we get ready to celebrate communion, may we celebrate your grace and your mercy and your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Aren't you glad he does tonight? Y'all pray with me. Father, I just want to pray over these next few moments that you would just make so things so clear for all of us in this room. With heads bowed and eyes closed right now. Maybe you're here tonight and we're about to take communion, but listen, you, you can't celebrate something that's never happened. If you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never asked Jesus to come into your life and be your Lord and Savior, if you've never given your life to Jesus... I want to invite you to do that tonight before we take communion because that's the most important decision you'll ever make on this side of eternity. So if you're here tonight and you know you need to pray to receive Jesus, I want to invite you right where you stand right now tonight, right now, to pray and ask him to come in your life. I'm going to lead you in this prayer and I'm going to invite you to pray it out loud, but you don't pray it alone because our whole Second Chance family, we're going to pray this prayer with you tonight so you'll know, you'll know that you're stepping into a relationship with Jesus supported by so many friends in this room. So if you know you need to receive Christ before we take this communion time, you, you pray out loud in Second Chance Family. Let's pray with them. You just pray and say, Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner and I need you as my Savior. I believe you died on the cross and you rose from the grave to pay for my sins. And right now, Jesus, I declare you as Lord. You are my king and my savior. Come in and take over. In Jesus' name I pray. Now with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, nobody looking around, if you just prayed that prayer and you just asked Christ to come into your life, I want to pray with you and for you before we take communion. So do me a favor. If you just prayed that prayer, standing right where you are, would you just do me a favor and hold your hand up and just just hold it up high where I can see it and just keep it up. Just keep it up all over the room. Keep it up. Amen. 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 Just keep them up. Keep them up else over here man wow wow this is awesome thank you jesus thank you all day long jesus all day long god i pray for everybody they just prayed and received you into their life god that they would know tonight tonight you changed everything they are brand new 
they are walking in you. And God, that this communion service, God, it's their first, but it's not their last. Everybody looking this way, Jesus said, when we take communion and we take the bread, and so if you'll just peel back your top of your thing there, it takes a minute, it's okay. And you'll just reach in, there's a little bread chip there. And Jesus said, when we do this, when we take this bread, we're supposed to literally remember that he came as a man to this earth, and we're supposed to do this in remembrance of him. That's what he said. So let's just take a few seconds and say, thank you, Jesus. You can either say in your heart or out loud, and then let's do this in remembrance of him. Thank you, Jesus. And next, if you'll peel back this cup once again, takes a minute. Peel it back. And this represents the blood of Jesus that was poured out for our sins. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Now, let me come back to something I said at the very beginning of the message. I said, it's the Lord's Supper, not the Last Supper. And the reason I'm pretty emphatic about not calling it the Last Supper is the Last Supper is not going to be held on earth. It's going to be held when we get to heaven. And Jesus himself will host the Last Supper. And he'll take his knife and he'll cling the the crystal and he'll stand up and say I'm going to raise my glass to my heavenly father I'm going to raise my glass to those of you that accepted me I'm going to raise my glass to those of you that accepted the price that I paid for your sins on the cross welcome welcome to my home where there will be no more sin there will be no more sickness and there will be no sorrow so let's do this in remembrance of him so thankful one of the things about second chances we're not a traditional church so we don't have those pew thingies that you can stick your cup in so as you leave tonight we would ask that you take this with you and drop it in the trash are you glad you came to church tonight hey don't miss baptism next week it's going to be awesome i love you guys god bless